Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand more about how the other side thinks. Today's episode is brought to you by ProPricer, the number one proposal pricing and cost analysis software used by federal agencies and small to large government contractors. Learn more by visiting ProPricer.com slash podcast. ProPricer now offers a proposal pricing solution specifically for services contractors. It's called the Services Contractor Division. With just a few mouse clicks, you can manipulate rates, set annual caps, even create annual work schedules. You now have the ability to account for PTO and holidays, all while maintaining the accuracy of your rates throughout your cost proposal. ProPricer's Services Contractor Edition offers all that and much more. So if you're familiar with ProPricer, but always said, oh, I'm a services contractor, it doesn't have the features I need, this solves that problem. We got a demo of the product at the Government Contract Pricing Summit, and it is awesome. It solves all those problems and more. If you haven't seen it, you need to get a demo now. Learn more about how the new Services Contractor Edition can help you get more done in less time by visiting ProPricer.com slash podcast. Today, we tackle an interesting dilemma in the government contracting world. The government looks at you as a large business or a small business, but what if you're sort of in between? Here we go with what is a mid-sized business? It's kind of interesting. Government draws a line between small businesses and large businesses, but the real world has all kinds of businesses in between. We all kind of know what small means and what large means, but... There's also mega corporations, and I think most companies fall right in between what people would call small and people call large. Well, and, and what's funny is that there should be like a micro, like a yeah. startup. People, people say, I think the term startup probably refers to a micro, but it's right. like when do you become startup versus a small versus a right. mid versus a large? Micro versus small versus large versus massive versus <laughs> mega versus <laughs> basically, yeah. basically a small country. <laughs> which is possible. So that leads us to the topic for today, which is is mid-sized businesses. Before we get started with that, though, I want to thank Dr. Claude Cable uh, for just sharing our content on LinkedIn. He's He works for the Small Business Administration, and he just is sharing our podcast content because he knows it helps people. So thanks for that. All right, I'll start with the FAR definition of small business. It's interesting. There is a FAR definition of small business. FAR 2.101 in the definition section. Small business is an independently owned and operated, not dominant in the field of operation in which it is bidding on government contracts, and is qualified as a small business under the criteria and size standards in 13 CFR Part 121. See FAR 19. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah, so not dominant in the field of operations means that they're they're not controlling or they're not a major influence on, on a national basis in the kind of business that the company does. And dominance is is related to you know the the amount of business they do, how many employees they have, their resources, uh, their competitive status, and whether or not they have the intellectual property where where you know no no more entrants can get in there, right? Well, if they own like all the materials or you know, and, and the example I use this is like the the um, Andrew Carnegie, his big thing was own the supply chain. And so the extreme example of Carnegie Steel owned the whole supply chain, and therefore they owned the whole steel industry. So that's like a super mega large business. <laughs> so the opposite of that is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Think, think Apple. They're somewhat dominant in their, in their business. They're certainly not small. They're like on that small country scale as far as uh, 
as far as gross national product or revenues. Anyway, <laughs> small businesses, that is defined in the FAR, but large business is not. So from the government's perspective, you're either small or you're not. And if you're not, you're large. And the trouble with that is large is not just large. There's all kinds of different types of large, and, and we're going to talk about that that weird threshold between small and large. So to define that, Kevin, what is a mid-sized business? And we're going we're gonna to talk about the threshold where you go from being a large small business to a becoming a small large business. Uh, this is going to get confusing fast. I can already tell. But the, the basic idea is, is, is valid. I mean, the, the analogy that, that we've talked about is like we need to know what are the, the wheeled vehicles that, that are available in the world. And we're going to say, OK, the ones that have two wheels and are a moped, those are the small businesses. Everything else is the large businesses. And that, I mean, that's really that's a, a valid analogy of how diverse all these different large businesses are. And we try to tinker with them with the NAICS codes and stuff like that. But realistically, as a contracting officer, I did not understand what a company looked like that had just tripped the wire to be a large business. Right. Going back to your – using the the wheeled vehicle standard there, you can see a lot of comparisons between a moped, a dirt bike, a motorcycle. But as soon as you leap to a sedan or a pickup truck, there's a lot of differences. But really, they're all still wheeled vehicles or they're all still large businesses in our our analogy, right? Right. So is also a Humvee and a tank and and you know one of those massive mining vehicles with the tires that are thirty feet tall or however be there. We're, we're they're all large businesses. Yet you know as soon as you get past that moped phase, you might be called a, a large business too. That's such a weird analogy, but I like the way it, it it puts it in my mind. Good. And and the really fun part is that like a tank, it has a tread. But if you look at a tank, there are wheels inside the tank. (laughs) This is how it gets crazy in a hurry. So that's why it's just fun to talk about. All right. Large, small businesses. What is a large, small business? So you're still a small business by the Small Business Administration rules, but you're you're pushing on that ceiling. And an example would be a professional services company that that has between 10 and $14 million in revenue when it's a $15 million NAICS code. Like the definition of a small business – and we talked about this in other episodes. Definition of a small business is somebody who has an average of fifteen year fifteen million dollars in revenue over the last three years. Well, let's say you've got you know fourteen million. You are a large small. But the contracting officer, the government customer, everybody just sees that the SBA they see you as small. And you're talking, nice. you're talking in that definition for this NAICS code. Exactly. Yeah. Not, for that one not, not fifteen million isn't the threshold for everything. Correct. Which yeah, yeah. there's. <laughs> let me let me not go down that road. Yeah. We'll end up with a two-hour right. podcast. Right. So, what does a large small business look like? You may have gotten past that mom and pop shop perception. Just just maybe you may you may not have because I I know many small businesses that are very have a very professional type organization. I know many small businesses that are right on the cusp of becoming large businesses that still are run very much like the mom and pop. But if you're not past that phase. You're just getting to the point where you really need to be. Another way to look at it, large smalls may also have some type of executive team. Now, it's probably not a formal – you may have titles like president and chief operating officer and chief financial officer, but it still might be mom and pop in those roles. But your executive team, you're not siloed into 
specific jobs. People still are wearing a lot of hats in most cases at, at this large, small size. You haven't quite reached the point where you need just executive leadership. Yeah, and, and a good example would be things like your proposal manager. I mean, if you're at the point where you have somebody who all they do is write proposal, their their job may be may be proposal manager when it's a uh, when you're a small company, but it's also some it's one of the things that they do. Well, when you're getting to that point where you have a proposal manager, that's all they do. They don't have other duties as assigned. Then that and again, as a as a government person, I never saw the difference. Right. If you have back office people that that only have one job and never have to do anything else, you're probably getting pretty big. Another characteristic. A large small business, you you may have prime contracts, whereas whereas as a very very small company, you are just subcontracting to larger to to the primes. You may now have your own prime contracts. You may actually have subcontractors working for you. You may not, but you may. Yeah, and this yeah we're, we're painting with a broad brush. And so as a as a large small, your size probably gives you an advantage because think about it, you've you've you're big enough that you've got scale, you've got experience, you've got resources, you probably have a building that you may own by now. Um, you have a good infrastructure, you have you've a banker that you have access to capital. So if you win a hundred million dollar contract, you can actually fund the first three months. Uh, you know, you have a really awesome website in theory. Um, <laughs> in theory, which again, so that's you may have an advantage over the really small guys by this point. Correct. Yeah, yeah. over over the, the the we'll call them the micros. Yeah. <laughs> like, which basically is like a startup, right? Yep. But there's real challenges to being a large, small business because you you're you have to be preparing to move on to that next phase and be a large business. You're probably hitting the point where you need to hire full time people that all they do are HR and finance and accounting and and proposal management and those other things you're talking about, but you might not be making enough money to actually afford people that just do that by this point. So it's, it's tough to be a large, small business. And honestly, that's why a lot of our Skyway members are, they're large smalls is that they need a little bit of help to kind of get them through this process, but they, they're not ready at the point to really hire a whole bunch of people full time that are overhead. Right. And that that's where this, that's where you start needing them is right at this large, small point because things get harder. This is where the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, the OFCCP, they have this. They <laughs> Sorry. It, no, it, OFCCP. It doesn't roll off the yeah. tongue. But they no, have, there's thresholds based on the number of employees and there's some other other thresholds. And, and the Department of Labor, same way. They judge you as a company based on numbers of employees and revenue. So at, at 20 employees, you've, you have to start doing some reporting and compliance actions for the OFCCP. Not a lot, but some. When you get to 50 employees, when you trip over that line from 49 to 50, boom, all kinds of hard things are required. This is where you have to have affirmative action plans. You have to do equal, opportun- equal employment opportunity reporting just to just start with the list list of things that gets harder at 50. And then at 100 employees, there's there's some more things that are added on. But the point is, moving from a small business to a large business, overnight, boom, triggers compliance actions that you may not even be thinking of. So let's well, talk about that. Right, or even aware of. So let's talk about what happens that next day. So you're now a, a, a large business, but you're a very small large business because you may have gone from 49 to 50 employees. Ta-da, congratulations, you're a large business. 
So the example here is going back to our professional services company, which in the in the one NAICS that we talked about, it's $15 million in revenue. Well, I actually talked to a guy once. He said, yeah, we tripped the, the large business. It was a professional services company. We tripped the large business by $60,000. And Oops. what goes through my head, yeah, what went through my head is, ouch. Yeah, because that's going to cost you more than sixty to do that. Exactly. So he was fifteen point uh, zero fifteen point zero six zero million in revenue. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, you still feel like the same company. I mean, that guy, he he when he tripped that threshold, he was probably asleep at night when that when he tripped the threshold. <laughs> but when he woke up in the morning, the rules were all different because now he's considered a large business. And, and he might be big enough to be known and found and, and, and like have a brand, right? But only if you really target. We all know that there are thousands of companies that are $50, $100 million in revenue that we've never heard never of. Never heard of. Yeah. Right. So if you target, if you really are hyper-targeting and you become a large business, then you're known in that in your targeted area. But most but companies that have just tripped over this threshold aren't on the tip of every contracting officer's tongue when it comes to market <laughs> research. Like, like who can do this? Okay. Hey, Boeing can do this. Yeah, that, that's a company exactly. everybody knows. But maybe not someone that is now has 50 employees or is it 15.060 in revenue. And it changes your outlook on competition. Yeah, because your opportunities, they changed. You may have more because now you can bid on, on a lot of more things because you're a large business. But what I would say, you actually probably have less because you can't have fewer because you can't use the set-aside anymore. You're no longer able to prime a lot of a small business uh, set-aside. Yeah, that's a weird way to look at it because yeah. you always could have been on everything that's full and open as a small. But Good you're cool. probably, to in, a, in a, an effort to be more competitive, you're probably – using those set-asides to only compete against your peers and not trying to compete against really big companies. Then you wake up in the morning and you can't do that anymore. Congratulations, you are now in the full and open world. At this point, the government looks at you as a large business. You check that box. I'm a large business. So you're perceived to have all the stuff that large businesses have. Yeah, I mean, really, you still have that small business experience. It's fresh in your past. And you probably still act like a small business because it isn't like everybody in the company, all, all 51 employees, suddenly <laughs> said, hey, switch, we're a large business. Most of them don't know it. So you, your behavior didn't change that much. Yeah, and we're going to say that's, that's good that, that you're still able to act like a small company and not a big company with lots of bureaucracy and all that evil stuff. But it, this may <laughs> – it, it can actually work against you because like I was saying, the government may perceive you as large, but you don't have all the – resources and capabilities to be to really be large or the government may still think of you as a small business you crossed a line but it's a very thin line it's not like you jump from 50 employees to 5,000 employees you jump from 49 to 50 the government may still only see you as that small company even though you want to be seen as a big company now and that may work against you in source elections and, and that, that's, a, that's an interesting point I hadn't thought of is if you're, you're targeting well, so this company that, that you have built, the government knows you as a small business, and all of a sudden you're not anymore. And we talk about – you had that conversation with Shelly on the 8A program that the same thing can happen to you where you, you flip this wire and all of a sudden they can't treat you the same. But you're the same company. Right. They want to come down. to you, but they can't do a set-aside or, or in that 8A case. They can't do a sole source anymore. You have to compete. So at this point, you've lost all the advantages 
in these competitions that, that you had as a result of your small business status. You didn't have to compete with large businesses that have the scale and the experience and all that. And that could be a real problem. The hardest yeah. part for me, yeah, the hardest part for me at this point was overnight, suddenly your accounting and financials and pricing, all that stuff just became so much more complicated. Because as a small business, you don't have to have approved systems for any of this stuff. But as a large business, the next morning when you wake up, you're expected to have an approved accounting system, an approved procurement system, approved subcontracting system. You're expected to be able to create forward pricing projections for your indirect rates. Overnight, you're the same company you just were yesterday, but now suddenly you have to have all this stuff in place. If you haven't planned for that, you could be in for a world of herd. And in the DOD world, but this is what I ran into, DCMA and DCAA have to be there to approve your systems and do these reviews, which can be quite time-consuming. There are not enough DCMA and DCAA employees to serve all the companies that, that need these systems approved. So you have to get in line. And rightfully, those agencies are focusing on the biggest contractors and the biggest issues. So it can be next to impossible to get their attention to get yourself approved. But all the contracting officers like you, Kevin, <laughs> were expecting that you're approved and I'm not going to award to you unless you have an approved system. And you're sitting there as a small, large business going, I would love to be approved. Please, somebody come approve me. I've done everything I need to be approved. Just no one's come and told me I'm approved yet. It can be very frustrating. That and the reality is you have 50 employees or 51 and there's a company that has 5,000 employees who has to be approved first. And- or 50,000. Right. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. if I was the government, I would do exactly that. I would focus on the biggest risks first. And that's where the biggest money is not on the little guys, but it's frustrating because you're, you're a large business, but you're a little guy. It's like, we're saying small, large, mid, this mid-sized business thing. This is, this is you and I describing the difference. The government still has that line of, right large and small, maybe we can get them to start thinking about mid or small, large. Wouldn't that be great if there was a small, large business administration? <laughs> Careful what we're going to make them bigger. <laughs> necessarily what our goal is here. And, and something else to consider here is this, this could create, ironically, this could create a revenue cliff. And you know, again, you and Shelly talked about that in the 8A program, where it's the expectation is you got this advantage, and then once the advantage turns off, uh-oh. And so it could be... It could be obvious. It's things like, okay, I can't bid on small business stuff anymore. But to your point, it can be more complex where it's like you can't be competitive because you don't understand your your systems well enough to be able to compete with Boeing. Right? <laughs> Boeing. That's, that's really who you're competing with now. And, and it really it's, – it's an ironic thing that what got you – it's the whole thing of what got you here won't get you there. What got you to be just a barely over the, the, the line and make you a small, large business is different than than – what you need to keep going. And yeah. so understand that difference is huge. We forgot to talk about acquisition time zones. And I think the reason we forgot is this mid-sized business thing. It, it follows both sides. It's all through all the acquisition time zones, through, through market research and, and how you write an RFP. It's all through the execution time zones, talking about performance and the recompete time. Because 
you're, you have to execute differently as a large business. You may be required to do some things that small businesses don't have to do during execution. Well, one of them is to have a, have a small business subcontracting plan. <laughs> That's uh, one, one of many things. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that fun? So this is, this is a really important topic, I think, Kevin, because it's not black and white in, in the real world. It's, it's black and white to, to the FAR and to the Small Business Administration. It's black and white to the government. You're small or you're large. But reality says there's lots of shades in between. It can be a really difficult place to transition. And we've mentioned it before. Some companies go back and forth between small and large year to year. You know, if if you're at 51 employees and and a husband and wife that work for you move to the other side of the country, you're 49. <laughs> Ta-da! You're small again. And and as a contracting officer, I, I couldn't identify a large small versus a small large. I mean, or or for that matter, a small small from a large small. That's fun to say, by the way. But this idea of how mature are you as a small business? I I had no way of doing that. I I, and- I knew it existed. I mean, I knew there were. I knew that some of the businesses I was dealing with, they weren't Boeing, but I didn't understand the challenges that the system creates by treating larges as larges, regardless of, of the difference of the shades of gray in largeness. Yeah, I guess, I guess let me, let me say that I, it isn't that I didn't have the ability to do it. I didn't think to ask. Yep. And so what we're saying here is, you know, the government, government and industry you know, need to be aware of, of this, this gap in here. And so an example would be a, a, a large IDIQ contract that is set aside for small businesses. And you, you see a lot of them, you know, and the idea is, well, small businesses can do this. And it may, it might be, let's say it's a 200 employee, a 200 employee contract that by the time they finish it, they will be a large business. But the people who are competing on that, who I, as the contracting officer want to see are those mature small businesses. But what industry may be seeing is that, oh, it's a small business set aside. I can do this. And you get the company. Instead of the, you want a, a company with 45 employees to bid, and the idea is they're going to grow out of being a small business through this contract. And that's a good thing. That is good. But what happens sometimes, if you don't differentiate between them, you end up with a five-employee company saying, hey, it's a small business set aside. I can bid on this too. It, and it, yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the last thing you want is a Raise com- my hand. I've done that. Well, and you could, you could kill a company by oh, – if you awarded to a really, really micro company – that this this first big win took them over the threshold. They're not ready to be a large right. business, right? It might be the last contract they ever get, and you might not get your mission satisfied. And they're out of their weight class. There you they, go. And they may not even know it. We're back to the weight class, which is right because the weight weight classes are not just small and large. There's all kinds of weight classes. There's welterweight. There's bantamweight. <laughs> super heavyweight. <laughs> Mega. I don't know. Anyway. Let's get back to focusing on why the government should care about this so much. You were just talking about, do you want a really small or do you want a large small? And you got to try to find out. I mean, so for example, you could do your market research to see, okay, how, how, how long has this company been in business? You can see what the revenue is. They have to certify to it anyway. You, you can ask, you know, write an RFI and say, I need companies that have done this for, I don't know, five years and have uh, over 40 employees. Why not? You know, ask. <laughs> and again, I never thought to do that. That's how you can, you can. Yeah, you can attract one kind of company and repel other kinds of companies just by asking questions and sharing what you really think is going to be required to do the work that you're soliciting. As a CEO, I was painting with too broad of a brush and didn't realize it. I mean, we don't have to use tweezers and say like, okay, we need somebody that's got 17.6 employees. But, but at least let's be aware that there's a huge gulf. We all know based on, on 
just listening through this, there's a huge gulf between large and small. And so let's try and find something in between there. And that's something I never thought to do as a CEO. And I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity to make uh, government contracts better, one contract at a time. The real impact that I didn't really see when I was on the government side that I've really learned sort of the hard way now that I've spent more time on the industry side is the government needs to do a better job of recognizing that these small, large businesses just aren't capable of some of the things that they're used to getting from the really big, large businesses. So proposal requirements, that's that's one thing. Some proposal requirements are written in a way that the, that small, large companies just can't compete with the really large companies. And if you write your proposal that way, talking I'm talking about ISO 9 billion certifications or the these in-depth pricing requirements and basis of estimate and all these things. If you write your RFP with those requirements, you may be ruling out a whole range of companies that that just aren't there yet. They can do the work, but they don't have the rest of that infrastructure there and they don't necessarily need it to do what you're asking for, but you're inadvertently knocking them out by requiring these things. You also have to understand that, that, and I already mentioned this, small, large businesses can't get magically approved overnight from from a systems perspective, their accounting system and their procurement system, their, uh, or forward pricing rates. Small, large businesses, they may be able to calculate rates, they may be able to project rates and submit them, but the, all they can do is submit their projections, a forward pricing rate proposal. The government may not ever negotiate and approve those rates, yet some COs require approved rates. And you'd say, I'd love to have approved rates. Somebody please approve them or at least disapprove them so we know something. But that my, my point is I didn't understand when I was, on, I was on the government side that those things just don't magically happen. Yeah, and, and it also applies to performance and to, to, to schedules, things that, that – a large bit, or how about this, for proposals to say, okay, just submit an alternate proposal. You know what? A really large company that has an army of proposal managers can do that. A small large that has one proposal manager might not be able to. And not and the I, resources I to hire anybody else, right? Exactly. And so it, it, and if it's what you need, it's what you need. I'm not saying this is always bad. I'm just thinking of, of understand that just because it's a large business set aside, otherwise known as full and open competition, if it's full and open, what do you really just want the huge companies or that's, do you want funny. you know, the thousands that are in between. So I've been whining about the problems that happen from the industry side that you can't get your rates approved or whatever. But the reason I'm doing that is industry really needs to be conscious that crossing this threshold to being considered a large business by the government changes everything. Because only the government is considering you a large business when you go from 49 to 50 or whatever. You're not any different. You're not a large business. You don't you don't gain all these capabilities just because you crossed this threshold that's been placed there. That's why some small companies purposefully stay small. They don't hire that 50th employee. They don't go over the revenue by $60,000 that triggers all this stuff. And they do that on purpose because they don't want to have to deal with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. So if, if you are a small company, don't underestimate the additional burdens placed on large businesses by the federal government. Because remember, without the differentiator between small and large – you wouldn't be here in the first place in some cases. I mean, to be honest, if you came out of the gate just competing with Boeing, so th- there, there is <laughs> right. a process behind this. But you, so it, it, what happens, some, it's kind of like a, the, the, the conversation you and I had about sole source contracts is everybody hates sole source contracts unless they get one. Oh, yeah. And it's the same. Everybody hates the small business set-asides once they stop being a small business. So <laughs> don't, 
don't don't be that guy, right? Right. And so be like to, to your point is be aware of of this this is this process is in place. It gave you the head start, but head starts over. Yeah, make, and make being, sure you're aware. And being just over that threshold is a terrible place to be because you're you're not big enough to compete with the bigs. You, that 50th employee didn't give you the opportunity. Yeah, that doesn't give you everything you need to compete with Boeing on this now, right? The compliance burdens that you now have as a large business make you less competitive against the small businesses that you were peers with yesterday. You were on a level playing field with all the other smalls yesterday, and now you aren't. And, and likewise, when you were a a small, you were, let's, let's pick on one. You were a service disabled veteran owned small business that the largest love to team with. And now they don't want to team with you. Anymore. Yeah. You helped their compliance with their small business goals yesterday. Now you don't, they'll find somebody else that does. So what I'm saying sure. is don't limp over a threshold. If you can help it, don't, don't accidentally become a large business without prepping. You got to be prepared to leap over it. You have to hope that to get over that threshold, that you've also gained enough work, enough revenue that you can afford to do all the things that you now have to do as a large business. Hanging out just over the threshold is probably a recipe for disaster. Okay, let's wrap it up there before we get any deeper in this. So think of the, the mid-sized business, this large, small, large, small, large, as a third option. And again, I'm not suggesting we add this to the FAR. But the <laughs> idea is, is government is focused on differentiating between a micro and mature small business and a brand new and mature large business. So when you say full and open, which one do you want? And so, you know, and, and from an industry perspective, how does the government see you? If you're a micro small business and you want them to see you that way, then that's, that's cool. That's, that's part of your targeting. However, if you're a mature small business, you want to make sure they see that, right? So an example of how you can fix this is there was an RFP. I was talking to Rod Duke from uh, Qualys Corporation, so one of the podcast listeners. And he mentioned – I asked this question, and, and he said that there was an RFP that came out, and it said to be able to bid on this, you have to have had experience managing a $50 million contract before. That's a great example of how the government can define what type of small business, what type of large business they think is required to get the work done. And it, it's actually there by saying you have to have managed a $50 million contract before. They're helping to draw that line between those small, large businesses and those mid-sized businesses and the large, large businesses. And, and that's something from the industry side, you may not be able to tell what the government wants unless they help you draw those lines. That's a really good point. I, I've seen that before as well. Probably should be done more often. And usually during the RFI or draft RFP phase, long before the RFP is out, drop those numbers. And if a company says, well, I've managed a $47 million contract, does that count? The government might say, yeah, you know what? You guys actually are really qualified. So we're going to change the RFP to say $47 million is the threshold so that you can compete as well. And we say that over and over and over again, communicate, communicate, communicate. And speaking of communication, if you want the PowerPoint slides from our podcast episodes, go to Skyway member and you can, you can be an individual member. It's only 15 bucks a month and you get all this content uh, emailed to you on Fridays. Is that thunder in the background? That is. I live in Florida, man. It's summer. <laughs> it's just, it, I've, been, I've been trying to, to talk through it, but yeah, there's a thunderstorm rolling. <laughs> all right. I'll talk to you later. Take cover now. All right. See you, Paul. That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. To learn more, you can sign up for free webinars at skywaywebinar.com 
or you can join the Contracting Officer Podcast Network Group on LinkedIn. Remember that our topics are listener-driven, so if you have questions, comments, complaints, or a good topic that you'd like to hear about, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.